1: Welcome to Royals Review Radio. I'm Max Fieber, editor of Royals Review. Later on, we'll have Rainey Jazir on to talk about whether or not the Royals will clean house this offseason. But joining me now, back from vacation, is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, how are you? I'm doing very good.
2: I am uh, very happy. For those of you who don't know, uh, I spent last week um, in the UK. Uh, my wife and I had a uh, wonderful vacation um, in and around London. And towards the end of it, you know, the Queen of England died, which... Um, was only a minor inconvenience. If I was there this week, oh, man, it would be a lot. I don't know if you guys have heard of, like, the queue that's happening right now. No. (laughs) So the Queen's Coffin is available for viewing, and by viewing I mean people are shuffling by it with guards guarding it. Uh, This queue stretches for miles um, and is 30 hours long. Wow. (laughs) Wow.
1: Uh, do you have an alibi? I mean, you were there and now uh, she's dead. I mean, what, what do you have to say for yourself? Um, yeah, that's, I, I have an alibi. <laughs> well, I do like that the Royals have put a crown on top of the scoreboard to kind of in tribute to the, the queen, right? That's, that's, that's why it's there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, also joining us is Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, how are you doing tonight?
0: Uh, better than the queen, I guess.
1: <laughs> Living and, 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 uh, you know, not a, not a spry 96 years old. Uh, um, yeah yeah so uh yeah it's yeah, it has been interesting to see the reaction i just like i didn't know there's that many queen fans in the united states i thought that the whole reason we had a war is to kind of get away from royal rule and it's, it turns out people really love the queen and you know that's fine
0: they, they don't want the queen telling them what to do but they want the queen to be there
1: right <laughs> i guess so. that's it they like her they like her waving and not having any power so that's i guess that's that's a good stance to have uh let's turn to the Royals a little bit. I I wanted to talk a little about the pitching staff because um you know uh it's it's really important. Uh and I think Dayton Moore realizes it's really important for the rebuild. Uh and I want to see like you know we've had almost a full season now and a lot of these pitchers this is their second or third year. Uh we've seen progress from at least one, Brady Singer. Uh but other than that a lot of guys have really regressed, Chris Bubic. Daniel Lynch. Jonathan Heasley hasn't looked great this year. I mean, there's been flashes, but um, overall, not good numbers. Uh, J.J. Piccolo was on 610 Sports with Cody and Gold this week, and he said, quote, I'd like to think over the last three weeks of the season, guys will make us feel a lot better, but right now we need to get better. He's talking in reference to the rotation there. So... Uh it sounds like he's not really pleased with where things are right now. Um and I wanted to go through each of the rotation candidates with you guys and just jump in uh if you guys have something you want to say about one of these guys. I guess we can start with with Brady Singer. I mean first of all, uh he's been great this year. I think he's been one of the top starters. I don't know if I'd say he's an ace, but he's he's probably in that next tier of guys at least this year. Um and it's funny like if 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 it was just Brady Singer, um I think we'd be pretty happy, like, hey, the he might be the best pitching prospect the Royals have developed, like under Dayton Moore ever. Like he he's, looks like he's better than anyone, maybe other than Jordan Ventura, uh, than, uh that, that they've developed, and yet it feels disappointing because we were sold for so much more with this 2018 draft class. Um, but I don't know what do you guys what do you guys make of Singer? Like he's been obviously really good this year, and he's going to be in the rotation next year. But um, do you guys have any thoughts about kind of how good he is or or whether or not, um, you know, he's a guy that the Royals should kind of lock up long-term at this point.
0: Well, I was on record, I guess, a couple weeks ago as saying I would lock him up now. Um, it, he looks like an ace to me, but if you, I think you can get him, if, if you can get him, you can get him on a major league deal that's for more like a two or a three guy, and then if he doesn't, Take that final step into becoming an ace. Well, you still got a two or a three guy at the cost of a two or a three guy, um, and and just the progress this year has just been astonishing to me. Um, the strikeouts are still there. The walks are down. He just he just looks good every time out. He looks like he he has a plan, like he knows what he's doing. And on the even on the games where his fastball is not working, last year the year before when his fastball was not working, he didn't have anything. He had no answers. And uh, he would he would just get shelled. And this year, you know, he's able to kind of battle through it. And I know I feel like as Royals fans, we probably talk about battling through it for starting pitchers more than uh, more than we should. Um, But it is something that you're going to have to do sometimes. Even Max Scherzer uh, doesn't have his best stuff, his best command every time out there. Um, so if you're, if you're going to be a successful starting pitcher, you've got to have success on those days. You just need to also limit how many of those days you have. And I've, I've been extremely impressed with Brady Singer, both his ability to mostly have good days and to, to keep it close when he, when he, even when he has bad days.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, he's, there's nothing but, but just, uh. Positives out of Brady Singer this year. I mean, he's he's first of all he's a real treat to watch. Just a guy that just gets gets to it. Uh, I think I wrote this week he's he's got the fastest pace out of any pitcher with 100 innings this year out of anyone in the big leagues. Uh, so he just goes at, goes at it. He throws strikes. He hits his spots pretty well now. Um, he's got good movement. Uh, just his walk rate has been terrific this year, I and mean, he's pretty much the only guy other than Zach Greinke on the pitching staff that does have a good walk rate. So yeah, there's a lot to like, and he, I, I think they should lock him up if he's amenable to it. Now, he seems like a guy that, as Ned Yost would say, has got a little bit of the ass. Like, he's, uh you know, got a little fire in his belly, and I don't know if that carries the off off the field as well, and maybe he's, like, a little more, like, um you know, wants to, to prove it, or, or, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know what his feelings would be for a long-term deal, but um, if, if he's open to it, I think it's, it's now is the time to do it because, um, I, you know, it's a little riskier with pitchers. But frankly, you kind of need to take more risk like that because, you know, like I said, the Royals haven't developed too many starting pitchers. And if he's the only one, you kind of need to commit to him and get him, keep him here in Kansas City as long as you can. Uh, let's move on to Zach Granke. Granke, uh, the Royals, were, uh, Piccolo a couple weeks ago said the Royals are open to bringing him back. He's 38 years old. Seems sounds like it's kind of up to him whether or not he wants to come back, but I guess I'll put it to you guys. Should the Royals be interested in bringing back a 38-year-old pitcher who, I mean, he's been okay this year. He's been great, but he's certainly been serviceable and serviceable given them good innings. Um, is it, does it make sense to bring back a guy like that? I mean, I think so. Um, the thing with Greinke is that
2: you're right. He's giving them innings. I mean, they need innings. Uh, they They just really need innings. He's been – You know, every rotation can use a Zach Greinke, you know, every single one. Um, And he's had – currently he has a 4.0 ERA um, and a 4.21 FIP uh, or FIP if you are of the uh, pronouncing type there. Um, And, you know, that's that's really solid. Uh, He has done so uh, by just – doing really well on the control front yeah he'll allow some home runs every once in a while and he'll, he'll have some starts that just don't go well because teams are keying on his pitches and if he can't strike people out um, which he doesn't really have a great you know ability to do that if if teams i i think that a bad Zach bad, cranky starts um, happen, uh, and there's not really a lot you can do at this point. He's 38. He can't really get around it. But the thing is, those are occasional starts. He's generally pretty serviceable, and that's exactly what you want for a, you know, for a team like the Royals. You want a guy who can take up some innings. Um, yeah, He's been injured a little bit. He only has 114 innings this year. He's not like a 200-inning guy, guy anymore, but... I think if he wants to come back, the Royals should bring him back. I just, you know, because when you think about this, is it's going to be Zach Grinky or a different veteran, right? I don't think the Royals are not going to have some sort of veteran. I think the Royals, you know, he, Zach Grinky is what I call the Jeff Francis type, and um, that, you know, he's not super interesting uh, to watch, um, independent of you know his name, but. The Royals need that guy in their rotation. Um, they need those innings. They need some reliability and dependability because the rest of their young starters haven't given them that.
0: I I have to agree with Matt. I think uh, I think if Zach Greinke wants to come back, uh, they should bring him back. Probably not at thirteen million, um, but he's he's been uh, Matt gave you those numbers. He's been worth one point three fWAR, which is my preferred stat, and it's usually on the lower side for pitchers. Um, which is, you know, not tremendous by any means, but it's solid. and And with all the struggles they've had even finding solid guys in the rotation, uh, just just knowing I, I can't see Zach Granky just falling off a cliff. And anybody else you bring in there just brings a lot more volatility to me. um and and I do agree that they'll they would probably try to bring in some kind of veteran. Uh, so, I would probably, if, if Zach Greinke wants to come back, then, then the Royals, I think, should have him.
1: Now we get into a little bit more question mark territory, uh, because these are guys that uh, have been really not as consistent. Uh, let's start with Brad Keller. Uh, so demoted to the bullpen a couple weeks ago, has looked pretty bad in the bullpen, which I didn't understand why they were doing that, other than to open up spots for other pitchers. But uh, he doesn't seem like a guy that would translate well to a move to the bullpen, unlike you know, like a Wade Davis or something like that. Um, do you guys see him in the rotation plans next year? Cause he is arbitration eligible. will earn a couple million dollars if they bring him back or is he a non tender candidate?
2: That's a really good question. And I don't really know the answer to it. Um, I think that he's kind of, he kind of had a really nice start to his career. Um, and then has kind of slid back a little bit. Um, you know, his career FIP is 4.23, um, and he has in 2018 and 2020 has was you know pretty good. Every other year he's been around you know four and a half in terms of FIP. I think you might as well keep him, uh, in my opinion, because again this comes down to okay, you're gonna need. He's pitched 134 innings this year. Somebody's gonna have to pitch those innings, and the Rose don't have the pitching prospects to fill those up. Do you want to go with Brad Keller? He's not going to make very much money. He'll make, um, I don't know, he's making $4.8 million this year. Maybe you non tender him. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't know who else you could get for six or $7 million on a one year contract that would be, you know, as you know, Brad Keller's not super interesting, but for six or $7 million on a one year contract, that's, you know, not bad. Um, he's gonna be twenty-eight. You know, I don't know if I'd rather have I don't know, like a Noah Syndergaard type. I I, I don't know. I it's it's I, I really could go either way. And I I would probably keep him, but also I can definitely see if the Royals don't keep him, I wouldn't be unhappy about that. I
1: I wonder. I I wonder if they don't even know if they're gonna keep him or not because you know they'll have to make a tender non-tender decision on him by early December. Um, and so they may go out and and kind of you know, see how the market is the first month, you know, Moore has jumped on the market, you know, early on to get pitching in the past, uh, like the Jonathan Sanchez trade. I remember he made that like right after the world series. So he may try to make a move immediately to see if there's someone out there that's better. And if he does maybe if he finds there's a good trade out there or a free agent, Uh, Maybe he's like, okay, well, I feel better about cutting Keller. And if he doesn't, he may say, well, there's no one out there we can get that's better than Keller. I don't see a cinder guard coming to Kansas City. Uh, You're probably looking more like, you know, other guys like Brad Keller, frankly. And if there's someone out there that, you know, they think, well, we like this guy's profile a little bit better um, then then, then maybe they'll, they'll go in that direction. Um, but uh, but you're right. I mean, it, it's just it's not like there's a lot of guys pushing him out of a rotation spot at this point. So it's not really the Royals' mo to just cut guys that are serviceable, even if their upside isn't really very good at that point. Um, another guy is kind of in that same category. Luke Weaver, uh, acquired from the Diamondbacks, 29 years old. He's been a starter before, but not really great results. He's had flashes of okay seasons in the past, but last couple of seasons wasn't really good for Arizona. And he's been hurt this year in pitching out the bullpen. Uh, the Royals said they're open to having him start next year. Uh, what's What do you think about Luke Weaver's uh, chances of being in the rotation next year?
0: Well, as, as kind of the theme of this, this conversation, somebody's got to start. Somebody's <laughs> got to pitch some innings. Uh, and, and I don't know if he'll start the year in the rotation, but... He seems like they got him for a reason. Um, they they didn't just want to get rid of Emmanuel Rivera. They thought they had something in Luke Weaver. Now whether they're right or not, I, we're gonna have to find out, I guess. But they they uh, they think they they must have thought that Luke Weaver has something. And I'm looking at his line for Kansas City. He's got a 6.55 ERA in 11 innings of relief, which is not great. Uh, to put it mildly, but he does have a 3.02 FIP, so that's promising. But then he also has a 5.73 walks per nine innings, which which means he's walking. Um, he's not even got a 2-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio, which is kind of uh, the the bare minimum, I think, uh, especially because you expect that ratio to diminish if he goes in the rotation. Um and it's it's a super small sample size, so I'm probably reading too much into it. But I, I, I'm I'm not seeing anything there. Uh, the these these experiments, the the experiments that they've done where they've moved starters into the bullpen have worked much better than the experiments where they've moved relievers into the rotation. Uh, so I, I expect them to try it. I I don't expect it to succeed.
1: Well, I think you're right. They, they acquired him for a reason, and. Uh, You know, he's he's last next year will be his last year before free agency, and I kind of joke, but it's kind of half joking but half serious. I wouldn't be surprised if they sign him to like a two-year extension in the off or you know coming up here pretty soon. You know, not anything lucrative uh, because you're getting him kind of with diminished value. He hasn't been very good, but uh, you know I think they want to see what he can do and give him an extended tryout. And Rivera's hit well for Arizona, so you kind of want to. I mean, I don't think they would admit this, but they kind of want to justify the trade a little bit. Um, and so I expect him to get a rotation spot next year. I think they want to see what he can do. And, and I, like I said, justify that trade a little bit. And I, I'm with you, Jeremy. I don't see it being successful. Like, I haven't seen nothing out of him that makes me feel like he's going to be a successful major league starter. Um, like, even at his peak with, with the Cardinals a long time ago, like he was okay, but hurt. Um, and But even the upside there wasn't that great. So, I mean, like the upside seems like... He could be like Brad Keller, maybe, uh, which is would be great. But I don't even think that's a very likely scenario at this point. So um, he'll he'll be the he'll be the fourth or fifth starter next year. I feel like. What oh, about Daniel Lynch? He's a guy I was pretty high on uh, going into the season, and he's had some nice outings early on. And I think the last month or so, he's really I think really had some rough starts. What do you guys think about Daniel Lynch's place in the rotation going into next year?
2: I mean, he'll have a place in the rotation for sure. I think
1: of the four,
2: you know, main four of the 2018 pitching class, Brady Singer's obviously, you know, the the, the best. They took him first uh, out of that group. Um, but I, you know, Daniel Lynch is the, is, I think, and a lot of other people would probably agree, he's like the second guy in that group, really, really. Um, He has an average fastball of 94 miles an hour. He's got a fastball. He's got a changeup. He's got breaking pitches. He's got all of the tools to be successful, and he hasn't put it together yet. I think that that's more of a a coaching thing. You know, he's got all the tools, but somebody needs to help him be able to figure out how to use those tools. I don't think he's going to figure that out with the current pitching staff as, as currently put together, but I think he's worth, you know, Putting in the rotation, um, you know, it is worth considering, right? This is Brady Singer's third year. It it took until his third season for him to take the step to become what he is right now, which is a really good pitcher. Next year will be Daniel Lynch's third season. So if he's following the same kind of trajectory, and this happens sometimes with players where they won't be you know, it'll take them a couple of years until they um, kind of figure things out um, and then start pitching. Well, um, the one the one thing about that is that a lot of those pitchers that kind of take a couple of years, those guys tend to be high schoolers who come up when they're a little younger and then struggle a little bit. Daniel Lynch is 25 uh, right now and he turns 26 in November. So he's not like a young, spry, you know, spring chicken. Uh, he's, he's in his mid-20s, um, and there's not a whole lot of time for him to, you know, take the next step. Um, he's got maybe a couple of years, uh, and I, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see if what happens with him, and we'll see, I think I would be much more, uh, positive about Daniel Lynch if the Royals make changes to their pitching staff
1: yeah Alec Lewis. Yeah, I, oh go ahead
0: uh, sorry, uh, I was just going to say that he. I, I wonder if uh, some of this has to do with the fact that it's kind of his first full big league season um, and if he might be wearing down a little bit because uh, as you noted he did pitch a little bit better earlier on and uh, so I, I would just kind of bear that in mind too it may turn out not to be but um, but that's, that's one thing I was just thinking about him.
1: Yeah, no, I noticed that too. I think he, he had a little – his velocity, I think, is down a little bit uh, in the last couple of weeks. Um, but, he, you know, uh, Matthew, you mentioned him maybe doing better with another organization. You know, Alec Lewis had a piece a couple months ago about how, you know, there's been a lot of teams that have been asking about Royals pitchers thinking they could, you know, get a lot better performance. And the first guy I thought about was Daniel Lynch because I feel like – I feel like he has the stuff to be a good Major League starter. And the fact that he hasn't gotten results – um, I think is, is kind of an indictment on Cal Eldred among many indictments. But I do, I, I I I agree with you. I think another year, being a little patient with him, I think would, would do him well. You know, he does have that thin frame. I mean, I could see him maybe wearing down a little bit. But hopefully he's learned a lot from this year and comes back and makes that Brady, Brady Singer leap next year. And I do see him being part of this rotation, hopefully a, a very positive part of the rotation next year. Uh, what about another left-hander who came uh, came up in that same 2018 draft draft class, Chris Bubich, uh, Car Shield spokesman? Uh, he's had, I think, uh, you know, he's had some terrific starts, but he's had some dreadful starts. Um, how much longer uh, do the Royals kind of keep throwing him out there? How long is his leash at this point? Does he have a, a spot in the rotation for next year?
0: So I, I've obviously been uh, the Chris Bubich uh, fan, the, the 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 guy who says, no, Chris, he's going to figure it out. Like every time he has a bad start, I'm like, no, he'll get it. It's, it'll, it'll be okay. Um, and obviously it's, it's getting pretty, he had, he had a stretch of like three or four months where he had an ERA in the threes. Um, and he had, he started off so badly that his overall ERA never kind of came down, but, um, he had a stretch where he was pitching pretty good. If you didn't look at his overall numbers and, uh, and I thought, you know, I was hoping he was going to build on that, and it feels like he's gone the opposite direction. He's he's had he's gone back to having the control problems. He has, uh, he has he's gone back to giving up the home runs, and oh gosh, I really want him to figure it out. He's he's my kind of guy. Uh, reminds me of Brian Bannister a little bit, except of course from the left-handed side. Just the the intellectual who can who thinks through things. Um, and that's my kind of guy when it comes to pitching. So I hope he figures it out. I do wonder, you know, uh, when he when he was pitching really well, it was after he'd gone down to the minors. And we've talked about uh, at times, you know, Cal Eldred don't really have a lot of faith in him uh, and don't have a lot of faith necessarily in in the pitching coaching staff of the big leagues at all. Uh, and I, I wonder if he went to the minors and they, a, he got things simpler. I don't know if it was a coaching staff or if it was just an approach difference. Because when you're in minor leagues, you know, if you've been a big league pitcher and now you're going back to a you're there to work on things, not to, to you know, oh, I got to pitch my best. When you're in the big leagues, oh, I got to win, you know. But when you're when you go back to a it's like let me work on some stuff so I can get back to the big leagues and get back to winning. Um, so I wonder, you know, I, maybe there was a coaching difference. Maybe there was a focus on let me get this thing right. And um, I, I don't know if he's lost it. And and obviously it seems that the major league pitching coaching staff is ill-equipped to help him find whatever he had for that period. Um, so I, I think he's going to have a shot at the rotation because uh, not to beat a dead horse, but somebody's got to pitch these innings. Uh, So I think he's going to have a shot. Hopefully, whatever is going on with the pitching staff next year. And you know what? If Cal Eldred uh, figures something out and becomes the best pitching coach in the world, I will not complain. And they keep him. I won't complain. I just want to see success. This is not about like, oh, I hate Cal Eldred. Um, And I I don't think anyone thinks that, but I, I feel like the need to throw that out there too. So just whatever they need to do. I hope they do it, and I hope that uh, Chris Bubich gets the support he needs and figures out whatever he's because he, he's had really good starts at times. So there, he's got it in him. He's just got to figure out how to make that consistency happen. And I hope they that he can get there next year.
1: Yeah, he just he has such a fine w- line to walk. I mean, when you throw change ups and you leave him middle middle, I mean, you just don't have any room for error. Uh, I feel like his fate is kind of intertwined with Mike Matheny's a bit. I've heard that he's that Mike Bethany really kind of pushed for him into the, in 2020. And um, I think he's been kind of a, a pet project for Bethany and Eldred. And so if they're still with the team next year, like I can see Boobich having a spot, but um, I, you know, I think more likely he's, he's probably the sixth man. Like I could see him starting in Omaha and if they need him because someone gets hurt, they'll bring him up. But um, he's kind of at the point where I feel like they need to at least, he's still in the mix. But he's not guaranteed a spot anymore, and, like, we need to get someone a little bit. I want to see Bubich as
2: a one-inning reliever, not as this, like, um, you know, kind of quasi-long reliever. No, no, no. I want to see Chris Bubich as a one-inning, you know, Luke Hocheva-esque reliever. And the reason why I want to see this is... Uh, and I brought this up a couple of times, uh, but um, last year I think it was last year, uh, Chris Bubich had one of those starts where he just started off and it was just really bad. Um, and then what happened is all of a sudden, like after he was bad, Matheny and was just like, "You you got to just stay in and and you know, grit it out and give us some innings." And Chris Bubich after like the first couple of innings, like actually you know went pretty well the rest rest of the day like he he buckled down and didn't allow any more runs and after the game he said something to the effect to reporters of like yeah I just said screw it and threw it as hard as I could and when Chris Bubic is doing well you can look at the uh, velocity he's throwing 94 and 95 mile an hour fastballs when he's not doing well, he's throwing 90 and 91 mile an hour fastballs. I think it's really that simple that Chris Bubich, if he's throwing 94 and 95, like in a one inning situation, I think he could be successful because you don't, you, you're you're right, Jeremy. He's a little, you know, I think he's a cerebral guy as as he's been termed before. And that can have its drawbacks. When he's a, If he's just a one inning reliever, he can let it rip, fastball, change up, come you know come right after hitters you don't have to worry about it too much and just you know attack uh and then you have a a little bit higher velocity but when you have that velocity at 91 92 then max as you said the margin for error is just so little so i want to see the royals not give him like oh he's got the last spot in the rotation to pitch his three or four innings like no i want to see them convert him to a one inning reliever i think he could do really well in that role
0: do you think they could do like a Danny Duffy with him where they had Danny Duffy do that? And he, he got real aggressive finally. And then he went back in the rotation and had success. Or do you think he just needs to stay in that one inning reliever role?
2: Uh, I, I think he kind of needs to stay in that reliever role because of the velocity thing. He just doesn't, Bubic just does not succeed. Well, if he's not throwing at least 93, 94, like averaging that, if he's not doing that, he's, he just has no margin for error and he's not pinpoints enough to, you know, paint the corners.
1: You know, it's interesting. He did come in relief last year, a couple of times where he came in and threw like five shutout innings in a long relief role. Now, one of those games, I think was way out of hand. Uh, but yeah, it's been interesting. He has been he has a 3.29 ERA as a reliever. Now, a lot of those are longer relief outings. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see what he does as kind of a short inning guy. I don't know. Uh, he he doesn't really fit the profile of like your left-handed specialist necessarily, so maybe he'd be more of like an Amir Garrett role, uh, where he's just kind of uh, he faces lefties and righties. Uh, but that'd be kind of an interesting to see. Um, how about Jonathan Heasley? Be, I'll be honest, I've never really been a fan of his. I don't see it with the, uh, I don't feel like he is he misses enough bats for a guy that walks a lot of guys. Um, but he's had some outings where he like kind of looked like he was serviceable. Um, what do you guys think about Jonathan Heasley? And is he a, is he a, is he in the mix at least for next year?
2: Uh, Jonathan Heasley, how, how do I how do I put this put this kindly? Uh, I don't think Jonathan Heasley is not good. Um, there's there's no way around it. In he has a strikeout minus walk percentage of four point nine percent. Okay. So if I go over here to Fangraphs, let's see. He has, um, and that is in how many innings? 96. So we're going to do this here. So he has 96 career innings uh, uh, from 21 and 22. So if I set the minimum innings pitched to 90 here, and I sort by strikeout minus walk percentage. And for those of you who don't know, that's just simply taking the strikeout percentage minus um, the walk percentage. Um, and I click starters because that is what he is. He is, out of 187 pitchers, the fourth worst. <laughs> He's one of only five guys who have a strikeout minus walk percentage of under 5%. That's There's no way around it. He he needs so much improvement there that I don't think he's a viable big league pitcher.
1: He does lead the league in vomiting on the mound though. So I don't know. That's that counts for something. I you know what I don't know. Um, let's go to Carlos Hernandez. Who's a guy that I'll be honest. I, I should have seen this coming. I, I was a little too high on the guy last year because I liked his poise on the mound. I liked the way he conducted himself, but the walk, the strikeouts weren't really there for a guy that throws as hard as he does. The walks were too high. Um, and he's come out and just looked, really he's been lit up i mean frankly uh now he hasn't had a whole lot of starts a lot of that's coming relief time but um is is he a guy that maybe should should be a reliever long term at this point the thing
0: that i've thought a lot about carlos hernandez lately is that every time he comes in the tv broadcast talks about how the royals are, are hoping he's going to become a flame throwing reliever Um, they're not talking about he's going to get right and he's going to get back in the rotation. They're talking about, we're hoping he becomes a flamethrowing reliever. And, you know, I, (laughs) I don't know how much the the Royals front office is sharing with these guys on or off the record, but I feel like when they're leaning that hard in a direction like that, it probably, we should probably pay attention. Um, So I don't think the Royals are looking at him as a starter anymore. I kind of look at him as another Jorge Lopez uh, a guy who's got a lot of stuff who doesn't succeed the way you think he should. And I wonder if he's another one of those guys that's just going to have to go somewhere else to, to get it unlocked and figured out.
1: Uh, let's group some of these last couple guys in because uh, I think they're probably long shots at this point, but but could be in the mix at some point. Max Castillo, who I think has looked pretty good in a couple starts with the Royals after being acquired from the Blue Jays. There's Angel Zerpa, who has looked good in his, uh, I think, one start. Um, before he got hurt and, and injured his knee uh, probably come back next year and then Jackson Kowar who's frankly been a disaster I don't know what's going on he's got lit up in Omaha this year do you see do you guys see any of those guys being a factor for next year I think
2: Kowar should be a reliever like at this point just ditch the starting thing he's a reliever i think he could maybe find success as a reliever um you know he's he can throw 99 miles an hour you know that's that's sort of classic reliever velocity um of those guys i'm i'm most interested in max castillo in no small part because he was developed by a different organization <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that yeah that works
1: yeah that works well, you know, hope, yeah, I, I, I'm i most likely going to have to go outside the organization to fill some of these roles because, I mean, just going over that list kind of made me a little upset that this is what our rotation is going to be next year. I mean, out of all those guys, what, there's maybe like three, you know, maybe four, if Granke comes back, quality of Major League starters that you can get out of that, you know, and you're lucky if that happens. I don't know. It's just... It, it, they're going to have to make some some big-time changes, I think, in this, in this off season to Just upgrade remember this Banks, stuff.
0: You can't put two guys together and subtract one ERA from the other to make a good start.
1: <laughs> That's not how it works, huh? Well, uh, let's take a quick break. I'm going to talk to Rainy Jazirly, then we'll come back and uh, real quick talk about the spreadsheet and then finish things up.
2: Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape.
0: In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts... Listen to our Solo Acts mini-series now in the VergeCast
3: feed, anywhere you find podcasts.
1: Well, joining me now is Rainey Jazeerly. Rainey is written at Baseball Prospectus and The Ringer, and you can hear him these days on the podcast Kauffman Corner with Soren Petra of 810 WHB in Kansas City. Rainey, thanks so much for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, uh, before we get started, I, I understand you were in town last weekend with uh, your former baseball prospectus colleague, Joe Sheehan, to take in a Royals game. Uh, how was your trip to Kansas City, and uh, how was the game?
3: It was delightful, uh, in large part because it was Joe's first time ever in Kansas City, and uh, Joe and I have been colleagues for 25 years, uh, and friends a little bit longer than that, uh, but he is a New Yorker, and uh, has always, always, um, you know, has that... That New Yorker uh, level of superiority uh, of, about <laughs> the Midwest and flyover country, and um, so we'd been talking for a long time about doing a Kansas City trip, and finally um, letting him see up close uh, the wonders uh, and joys of Kansas City. And uh, from that perspective, it was a, it was a really fun trip. We went to all three games. Uh, the, the baseball wasn't very good, except for Brady Singer, but uh, the barbecue was uh, um, uh, as amazing as it always is. Uh, we got around. We got to see the new release baseball museum, which was uh, phenomenal as always. Uh, we actually uh, went and saw the World War One museum. So we we saw you know we did some touristy things, uh, ate way too much food, uh, and left him really stunned by the quality of food if the food alone i think will will keep joe from ever looking down on kansas city again so uh it was a fun time
1: <laughs> yeah you know he did he was very complimentary about the food on, on twitter i saw and i appreciate you being a good ambassador for kansas city and at least that'll maybe take a little bit of the, sh- the, the edge when he talks about the the royals on twitter
3: uh, yeah, I, I, just, uh well we'll we'll threaten to boy to have him uh you know boycotted from all joe's establishments in the future and that might <laughs> uh that might keep him in line
1: well, I did want to get your thoughts on the Royals a little bit because I know you've been keeping a little bit closer tack on what's been going on. You uh, know, and, and it's been a weird season because, on the one hand, you know, it, it's a little disappointing because it looks like the rebuild, you know, it's not it's not going it's not moving as fast as maybe a lot of fans would like. They're on their way to a, a ninety to ninety five, uh, possibly more, all season this year. On the other hand, we at least are seeing a younger team now. Uh, we, you know, we've got a team that has six, seven rookies in the lineup on a regular basis. We, we do have young pitchers in the pitching staff. How do you feel about the state of the rebuild right now? I mean, it's, it doesn't seem like it's, it's where Dave Moore necessarily wants it to be. Uh, but where do you, do you feel like it's still on track, maybe just on a slower pace? Or is it something that um, they really need to kind of uh, change what they're doing?
3: You know, it's. It's obviously been a very weird season because you know, superficially it's been a disaster. I mean, let's be, be polite. Not, not be polite here. They're, they're 57 and 85. Uh, they would have to go, what, 17 and three in their last 20 games just to match last year's record. I mean, they are taking a step backward in terms of, uh, wins and losses. Um, they already have a substantially uh, larger, uh, negative run differential than last year. Uh, last year they outscored 102 runs the whole season. This year they've been outscored by 160 runs. So you know that there there's not a lot of positives in that. Um, but when you if you, if you want to be optimistic and you you drill one level down, the fact that they are doing this with uh, so many young hitters in the lineup, and really especially in the last two months now, a lineup where they can they can feasibly start eight rookies, and I think they've done that before, seven guys who have made their major league debuts this year, along with Kyle Isabel, um, is maybe may a positive enough development that the performance of the field is actually overshadowed by that. And and I was really surprised because we, we talk about Joe Sheehan and, and we joke about, you know, um he, he jokes about looking down on Kansas City, but he's also he's also, you know, over the years generally looked down upon the Royals as an organization in terms of the way they do things. And he's said I'm sad to say that he has been proven right a hell of a lot more than I've been proven right over the years, um, with the notable exception of twenty fourteen and twenty fifteen. So his pessimism has been realism. Um and I was really surprised to hear him say uh, that he actually was more optimistic about the future of the organization today than he was at the beginning of the season, despite how bad the record is. And that's that's what it means when you, in one you know span of four months, you bring up Bobby Witt Jr., MJ Melendez, Vinny Pasquantino, Nick Prado, Michael Massey, Drew Waters. I mean, we were we were seeing a, a one debut of a potential everyday hitter in the lineup like every month, even even more than that, really, because Drew Waters. Came up before September. He was like the sixth guy of that, uh, uh, in, in that group, um, and then you know Michael Garcia could be in, in that group before too long, um, and then you've got some really interesting core, uh, potential uh, backup guys in Nate Eaton and, and Isbel, who if nothing else, can play really good defense. So all of that together, you know, if they can just get the pitching fixed, there there there's there's a, there is a A shorter path to contention here than you would think for a team that is about to lose 95 games. Because the the strengths and the weaknesses are are so clear. They have a very, very glaring weakness, which is a good thing in the sense that it's much easier to fix a weakness than to take an average uh, performance and turn it into a strength. And I think they don't really need to do much on the offensive side except let these players develop and they will have at least a league average offense. And so they can focus all of their resources uh, and attention on fixing the pitching staff.
1: Yeah, I think the best case scenario, you know, you think you, know, you try to draw the parallels to 2012 when the Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakas, Salvi mm-hmm. were all coming up. And that was their first kind of full season for a lot of those guys. Um, and, and, you know, there was a 90 loss season. But a year later, they were on the periphery of a uh, a wild card race. Of course, they added a lot of pitching uh, that offseason with uh, not only James Shields, but also Irvin Santana. They re-signed mm-hmm. Jeremy Guthrie do you feel like this team is maybe on, on the same track or maybe they're just, you know, you'd say they're, they're, you know, there's one big weakness, but you know, that's something that can be addressed in the offseason, or is this maybe a different kind of situation where, um, you know, we're not going to kind of see the, the, the quick turnaround like they were able to do uh, and flip the switch as you were, uh, as they did before. I, I, they're
3: farther behind in the sense, I mean, the 2012, I, I think season is, is a really good parallel when it comes to the offense. Um, but that team won seventy two games and it was only outscored by seventy runs, and that was because the pitching staff wasn't the disaster that it is this year. I mean, and the the twenty twelve Royals were tenth in the league in runs allowed, um, and the, the the rotation they they picked up Jeremy Guthrie late in the year and he was you know probably their best starter down the stretch. So the rotation was kind of a disaster, but they had some really good bullpen pieces. I mean, Kelvin Herrera was already here, Greg Holland was already here, um, you know Tim Collins I think was a rookie that season and had a good season. Um, and that the contrast there with uh, with the Royals' pitching staff this season, I think, is pretty stark. Um, they're starting from a, a lower a lower base. They have they have Brady Singer, is an, you know a clear and uh, you know a clear solution and really just a, a clear number one on this team. It's it's really hard even to know who the, the, the second best starter is. I mean, if they bring back Zach Greinke, which frankly. Given their alternatives, if the EV goes for a one-year deal, I think is a, is a probably a good idea. He would be clearly the, the, the second-best pitcher. Um, but you know, the bullpen—you've got Barlow. You—you've got a really, you know, the, the potential closer of the future in Dylan Coleman. Might he might be the closest guy in that bullpen to be to reenact the the Hdh bullpen of you know 2014, 2015. Um, he could be one of those core guys. But really, they, they've 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 got to find a lot more solutions than they did ten years ago. And that ten, you know, ten years ago, like you said, they, the Urban Santana uh, trade was a really underrated pickup that worked out, you know, wonderfully for that one season. And then they made the trade that hurts, and and the trade um, that really. You know, obviously, was was controversial. Let's just say because, well, let's not let's not re, let's not rehash my, my feelings on that trade right now. But uh, you know, trading for James Shields and Wade Davis, th- like that deal might be something they consider doing. That this might be the off season. you trade some excess hitting uh, talent for pitching. But t- the bigger issue for me is not so much the talent as the the pitching development and the level of coaching in the, in the, this system, not just at the major league level, but frankly, at the minor league level, because as bad as this season has been in terms of pitching uh, on, on at the major league level with the pitching staff being, being last in the league and essentially everything and runs allowed, hits allowed, walks allowed. I think they're second to last in strikeouts. So yay. Um, but as bad as that's been, the, the minor league system, it, you know, almost every pitching prospect, certainly above a ball has, has been a disappointment. I mean, from, you know, bizarre seasons like the one Alec Marsh had um, to just out, outright disasters like Ace Lacy. Um, it, it's clear that there is something there's something rotten at the core of the Royals' pitching development. And to me, the most important thing the Royals can do this offseason, it's not signing free agents, not make good trades. It is hire coaches that have a proven track record of making pitchers better, teaching pitching, making pitchers better, because we, we are in that era of sudden player improvement of technology and, and uh, scouting and good coaching, allowing players to make significant changes, you know, in the span of one off season. And the Royals are way behind the curve on this. And I feel like that has, they've really been exposed uh, in, in that sense this season. Um, so Again, it's a, it's a real disappointment, but it's also a real opportunity uh, for them to make a sudden improvement overnight. I, I really feel like there is the, the the talent is here. There is the potential. You you know, Daniel Lynch was a first round pick for a reason. Chris Bubich was a first round supplemental first round pick for a reason, and was a you know at league average starting pitcher as a what 22 year old rookie two years ago for a reason. He has regressed, but anybody who's capable of doing what Chris Bubic did as a rookie in 2020 probably has the potential to get, at least get back to that point of being a elite average starter. Um, I think Daniel Lynch still has the ability to be a number two guy. Um, so some of the talent, I don't know if the Royals have to go out necessarily and in, in acquire two or three quality starting pitchers like they did in, in, in 2013 and then 2014. Um, maybe you want, they, maybe you sign one elite uh, free agent starter, Um But you have to find a way to take the talent you already have and convert those guys into league average or better starting pitchers.
1: And a lot of that comes back, I think, to, to pitching coach Cal Eldred, who you know fans have had uh, the knives out for. You him said all his season. name. You're not supposed to say his name. I think you may have
3: you may have summoned him. I,
1: I made a I made a frowny face when I said it, uh, but you know he, it, it seems it seems very clear. I think that uh, that he, he he needs to go at this point, and I'd be I'd be kind of surprised at this point if he isn't kind of sacrificed at the end of the season. But you know, a lot of fans have wanted to go even further than that. I mean, Mike Matheny. This will be the third year. In a row he's had a losing season, and, and and some of that comes down to talent, but some of that, you know, there are definitely, uh, you know, things that a lot of fans have criticized him for, as far as playing time, uh, how he's handled the bullpen, and just you know the the slow direction of the rebuild. And then other fans want to look even above him and, and look at management, Dayton Moore and J.J. Piccolo, and, and point the fingers at, at kind of the you know you mentioned the 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 regression in the minors, or, or you know at least. Uh, you know, doing some sort of house cleaning with minor league development. Where do you kind of stand on you know who, if anyone, should lose their job this off season? And do you see the Royals making any kind of major change?
3: So, you know, the only my only hesitation in saying that that uh, Cal Eldred would 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 be fired is the fact that I thought it was such a fait accompli that he would be fired last season. Right. Because I mean, he really. I mean, I have been making you know comments and and i've tried uh in, in the last few years to be a little less um hyperbolic about like calling for people to be fired I mean, this, you know they these are real people and humans you know playing a game but these are real people's lives that you're affecting and you know sometimes as, as fans it's it's okay to you know complain and and call for you know heads to roll but um you know when, when people actually are, <laughs> are listening listening to you sometimes i feel i look back at my uh, comments from ten years ago, and you know, I, I probably could have handled some things better. So I've been trying not to explicitly call for uh, for that, but I've been, you know, the, the results have not been there with with Kalender for like four years now, and last year was, I mean, quietly a, a really disappointing season on the pitching side as well. Um, and I I just assumed he would be, and and he was not, um, and we've seen the results. But I would be legitimately surprised if he was not. Uh, if she was not let go this season i, I do think that the uh, level of criticism has kind of reached a, a, a tipping point um and the, you know the the excuses frankly have uh, have worn out there's just there's aside from Brady, you can play at Brady singer you know we have the, we have the, um, the 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 now notorious more quote from earlier this year, where it's like you know if you are going to criticize him for Brady Singer, you have to give him credit for Daniel Lynch. Well, nobody wants to take credit for Daniel Lynch anymore, but <laughs> suddenly Brady Singer, Brady Singer has turned into a legitimate. I mean, he's basically a, a James Shields clone at this point. So, I mean, he's like not exactly an ace, but like a really good number two pitcher. Um, and my hope is that you know he, the arc of his career for the next five six years, he could be a James Shields like guy who gives you two hundred innings, an ERA RA, low threes, always a little bit home run prone, but otherwise you know. Uh, a very reliable guy, but aside from him, you just there's nobody you can point to and be like, yeah, that's that's a success story. That's our yeah, that's what the pitching coach you know worked on. Um, so you know, I uh, I'm I'm not even I don't feel like I even need to call for him to be fired. I feel I feel like that's going to happen. But the question then is, how much farther do you go, Mike Messini? He hasn't been the disaster I feared he would be, uh, given the way things ended in St. Louis, where not only was he making tactically bizarre decisions, but had really lost a clubhouse. I was worried we would see an outright disaster. That hasn't been the case. Um, But having said that, he hasn't been an awful manager, but he hasn't really been good either. And, you know, I, I think you could argue if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And. I, I certainly would. If, if he were let go, I don't think anybody could muster a strong defense uh, for keeping him. But if 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 I had the choice between letting Mike Messini go along with Cal Aldridge or letting, you know, the bulk of the pitching development system, the minor league coaches, et cetera, go along with Cal Aldridge, I would pick the latter. I, I feel like I, you you could probably there is a way to win with Mike Benitti as your manager, I don't know that there's a way to win if the Royals can't fix their pitching development system. Yeah. Um, so that's where I stand there. I mean, if they all go, I mean, I, I, if the Royals are gonna clean house, I I think they are absolutely warranted. The owners have, this is their third season with the team. The first year was obviously the pandemic year, very bizarre year. Um, and and so I understand them being a little bit more patient than maybe I, I, I would have been. Um, and not doing anything last winter, but you've had three years now and things are going backwards. So I think some level of cleaning house is warranted. And I think all of the, uh, all, you know, both the both pitching coach and the manager should go. When it comes to the front office, then obviously you're talking about guys who've, you know, been here a long time and who have won it all. They've also got three winning seasons in, what, 16 years now, but they do have that track record. My My, my personal impression is that. Pacolo seems to be the, the, the guy in that front office that really spearheaded the decision to overhaul the hitting development three years ago um, which I think has borne you know is, is starting to bear fruit this year and is really has 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 this lineup almost unrecognizable. We have a bunch of young talented hitters who take pitches who, that are out of the strike zone and then hit pitches in the strike zone for power. I feel like I'm not. I'm, I'm gone through some sort of, uh, you know, portal, multiverse portal, and and the Oakland A's have been transported to Kansas City. Like this is just unlike any Royals offense that I remember seeing, and that's a tremendous credit to the Royals that they admitted they were behind the times when it came to developing hitters and made this change, uh, and the fact that JJ Pacolo was one of the guys really front and center in making that decision. Three years ago, and you know, taking uh, Nick Prado and, and M J Melendez from what looked like you know first round and second round busts to top hundred prospects to now like you know everyday players in this lineup, um, he deserves a lot of credit for that. And so, I would like to see what he could do as the general manager, and by that I mean as the guy actually making decisions for the team. The problem is he's a general manager, and Dayton Moore is the president. And I'm not sure that power structure is working well. Um, And there is certainly a scenario in which Dayton Moore sort of gets bumped upstairs into a a more, I don't want to say a figurehead position, but into uh, a position where he's the face of the the franchise, where he is spearheading the new stadium uh, efforts, because I I, I think that's the the worst kept secret in town, is that the Royals are really gung-ho about building a new ballpark as soon as that's feasible. Um, and that could be an area where he uses his efforts, um, but that J.J. Piccolo is given the reins to actually make baseball decisions without Dayton Moore looking over his shoulder. Um, that is the scenario I would be most comfortable with. That I, Piccolo is the one guy we're talking about here who I think has earned the right to try and do his job, but to do his job without um, any other influence. And let's find out if he's actually good at being a GM.
1: And what kind of makes us all interesting is we just really don't know, you know, what John Sherman, what he's like as an owner, because we're so new to us. And like you said, there's some kind of extenuating circumstances the first year or two, and he hasn't really said too much. And he's made a couple of public statements. And we do know this downtown baseball push is kind of in the background. So I wonder, you know, does he try to win over fans with some sort of bold move or, um, you know, does he kind of trust the process and keep going? Uh, So it could be a very interesting off season uh, for Royals fans. Yeah. Real quick, Rainey, I I did want to get your thoughts on the new rules for 2023. There's going to be a pitch Mm -hmm. clock next year, a ban on defensive shifts, and larger bases to uh, improve the pace of play and quality of play. What's what's kind of your quick reaction to some of those changes? So, uh,
3: quickly, I mean, the the shift ban, I don't like because I think it's pointless, um, because I don't think it's going to do what baseball is sort of positioning it to do, which is to put more, you know, bring put more hits on the field. Like, you know, there is, the game has, you know, less action today than it's ever had. You know, there's fewer hits than ever before. Fewer singles, far fewer singles, doubles, triples than really any time in, in major league history. Um, with the exception of like the extreme dead ball eras, which were so boring and, and so fan unfriendly that they quickly made rule changes to get out of the dead ball eras. Um, and so there's definitely moves that need to be made, but the, the, the root problem of all of this, a uh, lack of offense and lack of singles, lack of batting average, is there's too many strikeouts in the sport. It's not what happens to balls in play, and that's what the shift ban is supposed to do. It's make it more likely when you hit the ball. If you hit a ball up the middle, it should be a hit. When you hit the ball, you pull the ball you know, hard on a line drive, it should be a hit. Um, the problem is there aren't enough balls being hit, Period. And that's what you need to fix. So I don't think the shift band is going to do much. I don't think it's going to hurt either. I think it's it is um, it, it, it's pointless, but I don't think it's going to make things worse. I just think it's a missed opportunity to make things better because baseball, the, the one rule change that's missing from all of these rule changes is anything to do with the strikeout, We're making it easier for batters to make contact. I, I, I still believe that uh, moving the mound back by two feet or so would make a significant difference in improving contact without really changing the nature of the, of the sport. So that's the one thing I'm still waiting on, but the other rule changes I pretty uniformly like, I mean, uh, making the bases larger, it's a very small thing, but because it's so small, I really don't think the average fan will even know that it's happened. Like it is quite possible a fan going to the sport and uh, going to a game next year, uh, who had not heard about these rule changes won't even know that the bases are bigger. And yet you know, reducing the, 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 uh, the, the space between first and second base by four and a half inches or whatever it is, will probably improve stolen base rates by one to two percent. And that might also mean if, if stolen base rates go up one to two percent, that we'll see stolen base attempts go up a couple of percent. Um, you'll see a little bit more first to third because um, it'll be a good, you know, six to 12 inches shorter maybe almost half a stride from first to third base. So you might see Brunner's try first to third more. And that's the kind of action that the sport could use. It's a small thing, but it's, it's, there's really no cost. to it. So I like that one, but the pitch clock is the one that I'm really excited about, really looking forward to really hoping that they don't back away from, because there will no doubt be resistance from players, especially in spring training. Um, but the, the sport, Desperately needs to cut out the dead time. Um, you know the problem with, with baseball isn't that the games are thirty minutes longer than they were when I was a kid. It's that the thirty minutes longer and all of that thirty minutes is just sit, sitting around waiting for the pitcher to throw the ball. If the games were thirty minutes longer because we added an extra inning to the game or there was just so much more offense that there were more hits and more walks and more base runners, that would be different. I, you know nobody complains about a four hour game if it's exciting. Um, you know the wild card game was five hours long. And you know it's the it's the greatest game I've ever seen, but when it you know a a three to one game is three and a half hours long because there's thirty seconds between pitches, that I'm just sitting around you know when I, when I pull out my phone and I'm on Twitter between pitches every pitch, then there's something wrong there. And having forcing pitchers to throw you know fifteen seconds between pitches when there's nobody on base, twenty seconds when there's a guy on base, it just Removes dead time. It doesn't remove baseball. It will the the same amount of baseball in less time is always a good thing. And uh, you know, there's a even now there's a joy when there's a pitcher on the mound who works fast. Brady Singer. I was at the game on Sunday. Brady Singer. Uh, I think he's average around 19 and a half seconds, uh, per between pitches, which is like one of the best. Uh, I think might be the best uh best pace on the on the pitching staff. But it's still slower than the rule require next year. Um, and But you could you could feel it. He got the ball. He got set. He threw. There was no dead time. I was not looking at my phone and it was it was fun. It was more fun to watch when I'm not constantly waiting for something to happen. So uh, I really feel like if they stick to that rule change, um, that is going to be the story of next year. It's just how much faster and crisper and more fun baseball games are. So I am I am optimistic about that.
1: Yeah, it's gotten good, you know really good reviews in the minors. People do say that the game really moves uh, mm-hmm. along. So I am excited about seeing that next year. So you yeah, know, let's see. Uh, and I know the Royals are excited about the possibility of more stolen bases and playing playing maybe a little more small ball. So <laughs> let's see how that. Well, it's
3: out. funny because they're doing the, the, This change is being made right as the Royals are sort of moving into a more you know power and, and patience uh, kind of kind of lineup. I mean, Bobby Witt might get sixty steals. If Otto Brumundas is healthy, maybe he'll get you know the same, but. Um, you know, MJ Melendez and Vinny Pasquantino and Nick Prado, these aren't the guys that I, I think about when I think about the old <laughs> bases. So hey, it's, it's sort Vinny, of ironic that they're doing this now.
1: Give, give Vinny the green light, man. He can do it. <laughs>
3: hey, I saw Billy Butler steal this one, so <laughs> anything's possible.
1: Well, Randy, uh, thanks so much for being on. I appreciate it. We'll have to have you on, a, on again sometime. Absolutely. All right. All right, we're back. And, uh, you know, guys, I, I, I did not want to mention, uh, you know, that I uh, bring up that. Mike Matheny talked about how he's going to a lot playing time down the stretch, and he he talked about having a spreadsheet where they're going to kind of determine who gets in the starting lineup. And there's been some kind of puzzling things where, like, Nate Eden gets four hits one night, is on the bench the next night. Michael Massey hits a home run, is on the bench the next night. Obviously, this is all kind of preset based on, I don't know what, maybe pitching matchups, maybe, you know, uh, time of day or – I you know I don't know what's going on in their calculations, but have you guys noticed anything out of the lineups the last couple of weeks? Now that the young guys are up, do you like the approach they're taking? What's kind of your take on the spreadsheets and a lot of Jeremy? Maybe we'll start with you.
0: So the first thing I noticed, and this is probably a super overreaction because I thought I noticed it once and then it turned out I was wrong, um, is that uh, Hunter Dozier has had. Three of the last seven games off, um, including tonight, as we're recording this Wednesday night.
1: Oh, he's starting tonight. Um, hmm? He started tonight, right? So three oh, of the yeah. last. Seven oh, gotcha, gotcha, yeah.
0: Um, are off. Uh, that that makes me wonder if the Royals are finally like, mm, maybe this guy who doesn't have a position and has stopped hitting doesn't belong in our starting lineup. Uh, you know. Uh, It took him a while with uh, Omar Infante, and Omar Infante was a much better defender. Uh, I'll give him that credit at least. I uh, remember uh, that summer he and Alcides Escobar had that play on the the ESPN Twitter account that went forever. And then finally the ESPN was just like, no, we're not – we let you vote for this play for like 50 days, whatever it was. We can't keep doing this. We're going to show another play now. Um, So Omar had, had a glove. Hunter does not, and his hitting has has just completely cratered. I don't – last year he had the excuse of the injured wrist. I don't think he's got an excuse this year. If he does have an excuse of an injury this year, then I I may have to stop rooting for the Royals because they obviously would – I think that would have to prove that they have no idea what they're doing when it comes to guys with injuries, and I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, That might be an overreaction too. I'm just in an overreactive mood tonight. Uh, but yeah, so that was the thing I noticed. I, I want Hunter Dozier to sit more games. I just, what is the point? We know who Hunter Dozier is at this point. Let's see these rookies. Uh, Nate Eaton excites me. Drew Waters excites me. Hunter Dozier does not. Even if Hunter Dozier was a good hitter, was still hitting well, he wouldn't particularly excite me. Um, Michael A. Taylor's been hitting fine. I'm happier when he's sitting. I want to see Kyle Isbell and Drew Waters in center field and Nate Eaton. Um, it just, just give me some young guys. I, I, I feel like I'm being greedy at this point because we've gotten so many more young guys for the second half of the season than we had for the first half. And I said I wasn't going to complain anymore because this is all I asked for. Uh, but here I am complaining again. <laughs> uh, what, what are you going to do?
1: Well, yeah, we had seven rookies in the lineup on uh, Tuesday night, and they got no hit for eight. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, you'll take your lumps. You know, like, I'd still rather see... Seven rookies get almost no hit than a lineup oh. full of, you know, thirty year old veterans.
0: I did the math wrong. I forgot. Hunter Dozier pinch hit last night, so he marked as a game played. <laughs> but that's four out of seven of the last games he didn't play then. So he's that for a week he's played in fewer games than he's start or he's started fewer games than, than they've had than he's not started. You know what I mean.
1: Matthew, what have you uh, have, have you kind of liked the approach they've taken with the young guys? It seems like they're getting a fair amount of young guys in every night, uh, but you know we're still we're still seeing Hunter Dozier sometime. We're still seeing Michael Taylor. Uh, what 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 have you made of the lineups the last couple of weeks? I guess the lineups
2: are about what I would expect for the, for this organization, right? Like, um, you know they, they have been playing the young guys. Uh, I I will say that, you know, what the Royals will probably say is, oh, but we have too many guys and too few spots, so we've got to share things around. To which I say, and I say this the same the same uh, time every year when people are like, oh, the 40-man roster, what are we going to do about the 40-man roster? No, you don't have too many guys for too many spots. You have some guys who can move around, but Hunter Dozier should not be playing. Ryan O'Hearn should not be playing. Uh, Mike A. taylor is a bench outfielder. um you, you don't you don't have too many guys to too many spots. Um, those guys are not you know going to be viable starters next year. Um, they're and in the case of O'Hearn and Dozier, they're not viable starters now. So the I you know the Royals really should be running out a full rookie lineup every every night. And you know so what if they get no hit? Like I I don't I don't care if they get no hit. That, that's going to happen sometimes. I would rather than do that than um, see guys get regular playing time. It is nice to see that the rows are slowly moving away from Hunter Dozier, but I don't, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know what the spread, the spreadsheet says regarding that, but that is an interesting point. I will say about the spreadsheet and that it brings up a interesting sort of quandary, which is who is setting the lineups and who is making those decisions. And I don't know the answer to this, and I'm not really going to speculate whether or not it's better for one party to do it or the other, but in times like these, I, I'm not certain that any manager and any front office are going to sort of agree on this. So I would be fascinated to hear about what are the Royals' processes when it comes to this, you know, the the spreadsheet, quote-unquote, the spreadsheet, and who gets the final say, you know, who how much input does Matheny have on the daily, daily lineup? Um, you know, as you said, Max, he sort of complained about Nate Eaton, you know, not, you know, you know, reading between the lines, it seemed like he wanted to play Nate Eaton, but he couldn't. That is very very interesting to me, and I don't think that's unique to the Royals. Um, these these types of things are happening more often uh, throughout the league um, now that uh, you know there are front offices that are want to be more involved with who plays uh, because of varying statistical and analytical reasons. So I just think it's interesting. Um, I don't know who is making the deci- decisions really, um, but I would certainly like to know why they're making those decisions, and it's probably something I'll never know.
1: Well, let's uh, wrap things up this week with our Royals Review Reviews. Uh, Jeremy, why don't you lead it off for us tonight?
0: Oh, why doesn't Matt lead it off tonight? I think that
1: would be much better. he has got a, He's still a jet lag from Europe, I think. <laughs> he didn't know what day it was. Uh, Jeremy, I can go.
2: I've got your back. Yeah, so uh, keeping with, I guess, the the theme of this, uh, uh, I would recommend, highly recommend um, going overseas at some point um, if you have the means to do so. Um, And the reason why is because I think that here in the United States, we've got so many different things that we can experience. It's such a big country. You can get literally any like landscape that you want. You can go to a state that has that landscape and you don't even have to go to Alaska or Hawaii to get that. You can stay in the continental United States. It's such a big country and it's so insulated because it's such a big country and you can just go so far and still be in the United States. Um, If you haven't been overseas um, to Europe or Asia, I would really recommend doing that um, because it just kind of gives you a perspective on how other other people live and other groups of people live in a way that you don't get with the United States. Not that you have to go and experience like rural English, you know, country life, but just even the difference between like a London and a a, you know a New York City is is pretty stark. And I think that it's something that we really all. could and should be more mindful of. And it's something that, for instance, like Europeans know very well that, uh, other countries handle things differently and they know because their countries are smaller and they can more easily go to somewhere, uh, that's different. Um, I just think it's, it's, it's a really good idea if you have the means to do that. And, and that's kind of the rub is it's not, you know, Mm -hmm. cheap to go overseas. So I totally understand If you haven't been overseas, um, and I'm certainly not going to blame anybody for it, but that's part of the issue, right, which is um, it's hard and there's a big barrier to doing that. But I think that um, going and experiencing, uh, even if you're just vacationing overseas, as long as you stay sort of in the city, in the area that you're looking to go to, um, I think it's a really good experience that everybody should have.
1: Okay, Jeremy, now you can go.
2: Alright,
0: uh, so I'm just going to pull one in from left field here. Uh, so, I'm a big anime fan, and I one of my favorite anime that I just kind of... It's a comfort anime that I can always go back to and rewatch watch uh, whenever I'm having a bad day. uh is, is an, an anime called Girls und Panzer, which, yes, sounds German. Uh, <laughs> but it is a Japanese uh, cartoon anime, uh, and it is about... Uh, an all girls high school that participates in the high school sport of tankery which is where they drive tanks like panzers and and shoot at each other with uh, uh they're not blanks but they're they're supposedly uh you know uh reduced destruction rounds so that they don't accidentally kill each other um, which sounds the way I'm describing it sounds really gruesome. So maybe I'm doing this very poorly because it's actually very cute, very sweet anime, um, and it's it's about the friendships that these girls make, and uh, and and it's uh, other than that, I mean, it is a lot like other sports anime where it's like, oh, you got to compete, and here's your new opponent, and they've all got weird quirks. Um, the the main cast is just kind of uh, like there's quirks within within the different tank crews but they're otherwise kind of normal but the first opponent they face are kind of like they're all english for some reason and then the second opponent they have are all americans and then uh the ultimate opponents they have are germans um there's some russians in there and there's a whole uh there was a joke about the italians they just skipped over that fight they were like hey you don't need to see them beat the italians uh and then they brought that back in a in an ova which is kind of like a Uh, Just like a two episode kind of thing that that they'll do with anime sometimes where it doesn't belong in the main series, but it's still about the characters in the story. Um, So it's really kind of goofy and it's kind of fun. And uh, if you're looking for something kind of goofy and kind of fun and kind of sweet and you want to see a bunch (laughs) of high school girls driving tanks, uh, that's that could be a show for you.
2: I think we've got the another pitcher for the Royals, which is a tank. I, you know, the velocity would be good. Um, <laughs> would be pretty good. You know, if someone hit a, a baseball back at them, I don't think they would get injured very easily. Uh, yeah, that's you we're know, we're talking about rotation additions.
1: I'm tank, not sure the Royals can afford that at this point. That's my uh, take on it. I'm not sure the Royals can afford that at this point, but well, yeah, we'll have to see what John Sherman does as far as deep pockets. Uh, I mean, my, how
2: much? How much does a tank cost? You know, they're probably. Gonna, you know, Zachary <laughs> is probably about one tank's worth. To, well,
1: let's Google it. Continue. We'll have to ask the Pentagon. Uh, my rose review review this week is I, I like the stand-up comedy and I uh, my wife turned me on to uh, a, a comedian by the name of Sheng Wang, uh, and he has a Netflix special now called Sweet and Juicy. Uh, Sheng Wang is a Taiwanese American, grew up in Texas. He's, he mentions his classmate was Beyonce. Uh, but he was, I thought he was really, really funny. Uh, very much a Mitch Hedberg uh, kind of vibe in that, not just kind of his delivery and look, which is interesting because he, I looked up some old videos. He looked very different. He had a very clean cut look a couple years ago, grew his hair out, has more of a stoner persona now, uh, but his act is still kind of, it's is more telling stories than, you know, Hedberg was more about the kind of the, the one, one joke off. Um, uh Wang has kind of more stories about uh, just getting old, (laughs) has a great bit about Costco, Uh, really relatable stuff that I think is relatable to everyone. So uh, it's it's actually directed by Ali Wong. So if you're a fan of Ali Wong, you might like some of this, although it's not really that kind of, uh, you know, she's, I think, gets more into relationship uh, humor. But uh, Shang Wang, Sweet and Juicy on Netflix. Do check it out uh, if you like comedy. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, thanks to Rainey Jaziri for being our guest. Thanks to Matthew and Jeremy for being on. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.